we're back with the tech policy grind. I'm Rima Musa, and I'm a fellow with the Internet Law and Policy Foundry, the organization where the next generation of tech law and policy professionals convene to write, think, and talk about the web, technology, and disruptive innovation. This is the Tech Policy Grind, the Foundry's podcast where we chat about what's going on in the world of tech policy. Hey everyone, Rima here. This week's episode was a little emotional for me. It was time, I guess, for me to share a little bit more about myself and my story and my sort of journey into tech policy. So I won't dilly-dally too much. We'll get right into it. But this is our last fellow highlight of the series that we've been doing these past two seasons featuring different fellows from the Foundry. And this time it's on me. So hope you enjoy. Hi, Arima. Welcome to Tech Policy Grind. How are you today? Oh, hello. Feels really weird to be the second person saying hello and to be on the other side of this. It's very full circle. <laughs> uh, but I'm good. I'm really excited for our chat. Me too. Let's go to my first question, uh, which is how did Rima get to where she is now? So maybe I'll start. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you might know this, but I'm currently a law student at the University of Southern California, Gold School of Law. I'm a 3L, which means I'm in my last year, which is nuts because when I started doing this podcast, I was in my first year of law school and now I'm graduating in just a couple months. So time really does fly. But yeah, I do mostly cybersecurity, privacy, some AI, some trust and safety, some internet governance, uh, law and policy work throughout my time in law school, which has been a ton of fun and is such a fascinating array of spaces, I suppose, under the big tech policy umbrella. But I got here initially because I was interested in going into international law. Didn't really know what type. I was kind of in between environmental and human rights and refugee, humanitarian law. But I decided to go do a study abroad program in Geneva, Switzerland, which is sort of the center of international law around the globe to go figure that out. So that was my junior year of college, and I spent about six months there studying at the University of Geneva, and then I also had the opportunity to do an internship, and I thought I would do an internship in one of those areas that I just mentioned, but I ended up actually at an organization called the International Telecommunication Union, which is basically the UN's tech agency, and that was a ton of fun. There were a ton of conferences going on at that time. That was spring of 2019. So there was the WSIS, WSIS um, conference that happened during my time there. There was the AI for Good conference. And then there was the ITU Council 
which is the convening of all the different member states and government representatives of usually the Ministry of Telecom or Technology or things like this that go to discuss internet governance matters on the ITU stage. So getting to witness those processes in that sort of engaging live in-person forum was really formative for me. And at the time, I was also doing a lot of conflict resolution work sort of on the side. Uh, And I became very interested in cyber warfare in particular. So when I was looking at things to do, when I went back to University of California, Santa Barbara, which was my home university, I was trying to find opportunities in cybersecurity as a non-technical person. My majors were communication and global studies. And I got the opportunity to work for the cybersecurity office at UCSB, uh, basically running the awareness program for the campus under the supervision of the chief information security officer and the associate CISO uh, for the campus. And they were incredible mentors to me who pretty much right out the gate said, hey, we'll teach you everything you need to know about cybersecurity. It's okay that you're new to this and you're just learning. And hey, by the way, if you want to you know, do some sort of engagement for women in cybersecurity. Uh, that's something that we also would support you with, uh, which was great <laughs> because looking around in the office of the chief information officer, uh, there were not so many women. Um, so I definitely wanted to to learn about how to engage more women in the field and ended up getting involved with an organization called Women in Cybersecurity, ended up uh, really learning about actually the foundry through um, the person who recommended that organization to me, who was Camille Stewart, who was a part of the first class of foundry fellows. And from there, I really just decided to dive in to the community and learn about all these different ways to engage, learn about different fields or adjacent fields to cybersecurity, because in the legal space, especially uh, cybersecurity and cyber law is not quite as robust, although we're starting to get there. (laughs) These past two years, even a lot has changed. Uh, But privacy law, I learned when I started law school was a much more robust field uh, as far as how the law has so far developed. Um, And trust and safety also brings up interesting issues that sometimes arise tensions uh, with cybersecurity and also with privacy. So it's been great to learn about how all of these different fields sort of interact with each other and also get to know different spaces that focus on these issues and the people who are making decisions and who are change makers as well. Thanks for sharing that, Ruma. I think your um, story also highlights that um, almost everyone's journey into tech law and policy is not linear. And most of us just ended up here as we try to follow our curiosity 
And I'm really glad that uh, you also ended up in this space because you are uh, such an asset. Um, and my next question is just a follow-up. And I would love to know why you focused on privacy in particular. And um, you also interned at um, several major um, you know, organizations in this space, like such as Future Privacy Forum and Electronic Frontier Foundation. And I would love to know how this experience has enriched your view on this question on why privacy. I had spent some time traveling. I went to China on a study abroad program the summer before I went to Geneva. And it was apparent to me from that trip and also from other travels that I had engaged in that surveillance and the technologies that enable it are a big factor perhaps in the sort of asymmetrical nature of cyber warfare potentially. So the more robust your governmental systems dependence on emerging technologies for perhaps national security or surveillance purposes, such as uh, CCTV and facial recognition and things like this, the more risk it poses to civilians, in a sense, in a cyber warfare context. Because in an analog setting, that any information about a given jurisdiction, civilians, is kept in an analog place and you have to actually physically breach spaces in order to get that information about people. And it's always been salient to me that information is incredibly powerful in being able to enact harm. So I think the interest in privacy really came from a sense that surveillance is so much more pervasive than just through these sort of traditional models of, okay, CCTV being everywhere or spyware being installed on your computer. Even cookies that are on your browser have the ability to reveal a lot of information about you. Uh, Location data, health data, all these things, especially when combined in the aggregate, have the incredible power to tell you not just about someone's behavior or their demographics, but even about their thought processes. So to me, they're very interconnected in my sort of superordinate thought as far as what drives me in this space of how do we protect people from the sort of ultimate danger of people's information being used against them, potentially to persecute them, to inflict violence upon them, to commit genocide, things of this nature. So in the privacy law space, we're mostly concerned with compliance of all these emerging laws. That goal is something that that tends to drive me. After you basically went to law school and started studying more like cyber security and privacy from a legal perspective, and and then you went into, as we call the real world, when people try to practice this. Uh, and 
how was that experience? What was surprising to you there? And is there something that you are aiming to change as you practice cybersecurity and privacy law yourself? I've always been really interested in serving as a bridge. Something I didn't mention when I was talking about my background is that I actually did a master's in between undergrad and law school. And my master's was in technology management at UCSB as well, which it was basically like an MBA for engineers is what we would always call it. But of course, I was not an engineer. I was one of the few non-engineers in the program. And I was actually one of the few women in the program. And through that experience, which was very group project oriented and uh, had a field project component as well, where we were basically consulting for a startup within Santa Barbara. In doing that work, I really learned the importance of being able to communicate in order to innovate. I want to be that sort of sounding board and also that bridge for clients to be able to understand what are the legal problems they have? How are those legal problems going to affect business problems? And especially with privacy and cybersecurity, which is such a sort of niche field and is not per se top of mind to every business, um, but in our very digital world, perhaps should be, uh, especially with what's at stake. I think being able to be a, a kind of product council on privacy and cybersecurity issues and how you can implement into your products things like privacy by design, good cybersecurity best practices, things of this nature, um, that to me is incredibly exciting because while there are elements of emerging technology and surveillance and this concept of commercial surveillance as well that frighten me, I am, I think, a tech optimist at the end of the day in the sense that I, re I grew up with technology. I really believe in its ability to create good in our lives and to make our lives more fair, more equal, better, uh, happier, healthier. So I think that's, that's something I'm really looking forward to is getting into the weeds, trying to understand clients' products, their problems, and trying to help solve them in a way that will also really benefit their end user or their customers as well. If people don't know, Arima and I actually met as Foundry Fellows um, almost two years ago. Time really flies. And our fellowship is coming to an end at the end of 2023. And I would love for us to debrief a little bit about your experience at the Foundry. Also, if people didn't know, Rima was the driving force behind the revival of this very podcast. And we are all immensely grateful to her for her leadership and craft and all the time and energy spent on every episode. 
it is really insane looking back and seeing the the journey and how much we have accomplished with Rima's leadership. Uh, Rima was also, I mean, is still uh, on the board of our class, and uh, she was also involved with the hackathon, and she organized events such as CyberCon and uh, smaller events um, throughout our fellowship. So what was this experience from your perspective? You've been very busy, but I know it's also a bit early to like fully reflect and have final comments or just give us your interim reflections about your experience at the foundry. Ah, stop, I'll cry. <laughs> well, that's all very sweet. And you've always been such a hype woman, which is so much more than I deserve. So that's, that's very kind and I appreciate it. But yeah, it's been a total whirlwind. I can't believe it's already coming to an end. And I mean, I'll be sticking around uh, hopefully with the foundry in some capacity, helping the next class sort of transition into to their leadership of the foundry and whatnot. So I won't completely evaporate, but it does feel like a really important era of my life is coming to a close. I started my time in the foundry when I was a 1L. I'm now a 3L, about to graduate. So it feels like law school was already this important era. And it's really been earmarked by my time in the foundry, which I'm so grateful for because it's been so incredible. But yeah, I mean, I think right off the bat, I came in having already wanted to be in the foundry for a couple of years. I think when I found out about it, the application cycle had like just happened uh, for class three and I had missed the boat. So I had been following the foundry for a while, waiting to see like, when I could apply to this really cool looking community. And so when I got in, I was incredibly stoked. <laughs> incredibly. I was so excited to jump in and our class, so impressive. It was really honored, honestly, to be among a group of such incredible people. And when I started getting to know folks through uh, through this you know, podcast engagement, which I'll get into more, but, um, but through that, through the board, through the different com- committees, through going the state of the net, things like this, um, it really opened up my world because I was so new to this space, especially like kind of the DC tech policy space of it all. Of course, the foundry is decentralized, but so much of it has its roots in DC and so many foundry alumni are are based over there. So actually, when we first got into the foundry, I think State of the Net, the State of the Net conference must have been like the next month. And Tim, who is sort of, the, uh, this is not going to sound nice, but I don't mean it in a mean way. He's just sort of the overlord of the foundry in the sense that he, like, it's his baby, you know? Um, uh, don't kill me, Tim. <laughs> but, but yeah, so Tim sent out an email basically saying, hey, welcome to the foundry. If you want to come to Stay of the Net, it's free for foundry fellows. 
So I was like, I've never been to DC before. This looks like an interesting conference. And this was pretty much rolling off of post COVID. It was early 2022. The last conference I had been to was RSA conference in February, 2020. Uh, when I was still an undergrad, literally a month before the world shut down. So I was kind of just excited to get back out into the space and meet people. Um, even though secret, I am very introverted. So I tend to be really kind of shy in those spaces when I am first starting out at least, but I didn't know anyone in DC. I didn't know anyone really in the tech policy space, except for Camille Stewart. And I went and met actually Allison McReynolds, who was also in our class. There were a couple of fellows who got together and did like a little dinner thing at the Union Market in DC uh, the night before the conference. And it just totally opened up my world. I mean, I, like I said, I'd never really been in that sort of a space and it just all felt incredibly exciting. So I think that gave me a lot of energy when I came back home from DC to really just jump in and engage. And I saw that we had this Slack channel for the podcast committee that hadn't had any messages in it for a while. And I was like, okay, well, it seems like there was this podcast that used to exist, at least called the Tech Policy Grind. And it seems like there's some infrastructure here. I had zero experience whatsoever editing a podcast, doing a podcast. I listened to a couple, but um, but I was by no means like a big podcast person. Uh, but I had done some video editing at some point in my past. I used to do graphic design too. So I've always been, it's always been like a little bit of a creative <laughs> spark somewhere in this lawyer brain. And I just thought it would be fun. And Mary, you were involved in that from the start. And you've been a real partner in making this podcast happen. I definitely couldn't have done it without you or Joe or Lama or anyone who's really been on the team since the beginning. I think another sort of watershed moment that gave me a lot of energy to continue to engage was someone had the idea within our board to do an offsite uh, all together as a board and do some strategic planning for sort of our vision of the foundry going forward. So we decided to meet in New York. I think this was maybe September-ish of 2022. Uh, so a few months into our time as fellows. And the group was me, Lama Mohammed, who is a frequent on this show. Um, we had Joe Catapano, Ricky George, Grant Versfeld, and Ellen Magallanes. And it was such a great group. Uh, we all came together and we spent, you know, pretty much a whole day just in the lobby, pretty much of someone's hotel that they were staying in. And, you know, I crashed on a friend's couch as I often do when I go to cities I don't live in. <laughs> um, and it was great. I mean, we, I think we really 
got excited about this notion of creating something. And that's where we came up with the idea to bring in a new class of fellows every year rather than every two years as uh, as was done in every other iteration of the foundry. And from there, we decided to do our initiation weekend, which uh, Grant was an amazing partner in figuring that out. And Ricky and Lama and Joe were all also very hands-on and making that happen. And so I think just throughout our big team efforts to make things happen, you know, whether it be big events like the hackathon or trivia night or our kickoff weekend for the new fellows. Um, It's always just been a blast working with this group. So I, I'm really grateful. Well, you still consider yourself uh, new to this space, but I think you've already done quite a lot. So I would love to know if you have any advice for anyone who also wants to join all of us in the tech law and policy space. And especially if you have some particular resources that you found to be important uh, and extra useful. Maybe the obvious answer is, duh, the Foundry. Uh, The Foundry really has been an amazing resource. I mean, the wealth of the wealth of a resource that the people who make up the Foundry, both fellows, you know, present, past, and also future, I think, is such an incredible network. I have met so many people through the Foundry. I've learned so much from people through the Foundry. I've gotten to engage in really incredible experiences. I think it's been a great outlet to exercise that bias to action. So I think the Foundry is a really wonderful way if you are relatively new to this field, but passionate about it to get to know people who are really smart, who may be coming at the issues that you're interested in from different angles or from different disciplines. I mean, I learn about IP issues and AI issues and quantum issues from folks in the foundry pretty much daily. So that is, I think, a wonderful opportunity. I would also say some other organizations that have been engaged with that have paid dividends in my growth and my learning have been uh, the American Bar Association's antitrust section. They have a privacy and information security committee. We just did the recruiting for this year, but in the fall usually is when the recruiting for that group happens. And it's basically a committee that's comprised of both senior attorneys who make up sort of the vice chairs and the chairs of the group uh, who are an incredible wealth of knowledge. A lot of them are either um, present or mostly past FTC folks. So they are just incredibly knowledgeable about the space. Um, And then also young professionals. So 
we do writing for different um, ABA outlets and basically cover developments in the space. And it's a great way to build a portfolio and also get to know lots of folks in the space. I'm probably going to get flack if I forget something. So <laughs> what should I not forget? Um, I would also say that doing internships is an incredibly valuable experience. I've been very, very lucky to have a really wide array of types of internships I've done. So I spent my 1L summer at a cybersecurity startup, late stage startup called Sentinel One, uh, really incredible company with a great culture. And that was a fascinating experience to understand the in-house perspective. I worked at the Future Privacy Forum during my 2L fall. I was at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, my 2L spring. I was also doing a clinic throughout that year and doing a clinic in law school is such an incredible experience because pretty much you're practicing law under the supervision of an attorney. So it's as real as it gets <laughs> while you're in law school. And that was, that was really incredible. I was in the intellectual property and technology law clinic at USC. And then my 2L summer, I was at a law firm in New York city called Goodwin Proctor. And I was mostly doing privacy and cybersecurity work there. And that was just an irreplaceable, incredible experience. And I'm really excited to be returning there when I graduate. And now I'm in Brazil at another law firm, <laughs> um, smaller, more boutique that focuses just on data protection, antitrust, and also third sector um, NGO civil society issues. But that has also been incredibly informative. So I was really pretty intentional throughout law school in picking out opportunities that would allow me to see these privacy and cybersecurity and tech governance issues through completely different lenses. All of those organizations, I would say, have some things in common, but also have different approaches I cultivated different legal skills. Sometimes I was doing research. Sometimes I was doing transactional work. And sometimes I was doing litigation work. So, and sometimes I was doing regulatory advisory work. So really a total mix of everything. And I really appreciated that to be able to see what I like and what drives me and also to get a really well-rounded sense of how the different players in this ecosystem work together and all contribute in, in their own way to this field developing. Any way you can engage, please do. It's such a wonderful field where there's so much happening. Oh, that's who I forgot. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't forget my Californians. Uh, the California Lawyers Association Privacy Section, I'm engaged with their publications committee. And that's an amazing group of people. They have a privacy summit that will happen in February. So if you're local to California, be sure to check that out. It'll be in LA. And then also the LA County Bar Association um, 
privacy and cybersecurity section has been a wonderful home for me um, when I've been in LA and I've had incredible mentors there like Diana Catani Orlano, who is just one of my favorite people. And so, yeah, saying this, I mean, it's, a, it, I know it's a lot, <laughs> but I would say just find, just explore different communities, find people that you really click with. I've been so lucky that all of these different communities I've really clicked with a lot of people. Um, and that's what makes me so excited to be in this space. Once again, hashtag bias for action, I think summarizes <laughs> your answer. So many things that exactly. people can um, take away from your story and your journey. And I am incredibly grateful to know you and to have been part of that journey. You know, some parts of that journey, let's put it that way. And I know this is just the beginning, so... And I also know that you and I can chat for hours, but before both of us start crying, I will ask our last question, uh, which is just future-looking. What is it that you are excited about and what is next for Rima? I'm excited for everything that lies ahead with actually entering the practice. Like I mentioned, I'll be going back to Goodwin Proctor in New York City, so I'll also be doing a cross-coast move at some point, um, at some point next year. So New Yorkers, <laughs> hit me up. I am really excited to, to be there, although I will deeply, deeply miss LA. I'm from California, have lived there almost my whole life, except for these international stints and a brief stint in Michigan. So I'm, I'm ready, but I'm also, it's also bittersweet. I think um, another big thing on the horizon is I am launching in collaboration with my brothers um, a nonprofit in memory of our mom who passed away on Christmas Day about a year ago. So it was Christmas 2022. And she was this incredible innovator, an incredible person. Uh, who made a career change late in her life uh, into the technology field. And so, so much of what I do is inspired by her. And my brothers and I decided to create this nonprofit um, in memory of her to give scholarships to young innovators in tech in who come at it from an interdisciplinary angle. So I'm excited to roll out that scholarship application probably sometime in early 2024 and it's called the leading from the heart foundation but yeah that's that's a big thing for me to be able to pay homage to the incredible person that my mom was and also carry on her legacy to hopefully help other people because that's that was always a big part of her story and besides that i I'm really excited for my new gig <laughs> next semester, which I won't announce quite yet, but in January, uh, I'll be starting uh, a new internship to round out law school. And it's one that I'm very excited about. And I'm also anticipating publishing my 
student note um, for the Southern California Interdisciplinary Law Journal. So I know I'm very, very grateful for all that's happened in this crazy two-year period that I've been in law school and also been in the foundry. And there is so much to look forward to. I feel so blessed every day, despite these past two years bringing up so many challenges. Um, I, I'm constantly reminded of how lucky I am to be in a space where I get up every morning and I'm, I'm doing what makes me excited to go to work. So yeah, it's, it's all, it's all happening. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing the exciting news and super happy about the foundation. I think it's a beautiful thing that you and your brothers are doing and I think this episode was all about passion, curiosity, and gratitude. And I am just grateful and lucky to to know you and to have you join this podcast episode on the other side. (laughs) And for all of our listeners, thanks for joining and uh, stay tuned for other episodes and also all the other Foundry initiatives. Uh, Yeah, just follow in Rima's footsteps and get more involved with us. Thanks, Mary. You're the best. (laughs) Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tech Policy Grind. If you enjoyed the show, get in touch with us at Foundry Podcasts with an S at ilpfoundry.us or leave us a review wherever you're tuning in. I'm Rima Musa, the host of the show, this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of our team at the Internet Law and Policy Foundry. Thank you to Evan Enzer for editing this episode, Lama Muhammad, our social coordinator, Allison McReynolds, our accessibility coordinator, and Tim Lorden at the Internet Education Foundation. See you next time.